Glory to God. Well, thank you. Two special musics today. Ah, really enjoyed those. They were good. Um, we're going to be over in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 38, taking a break from our regular series, take a look at the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are some questions that some children put up for God. Have you had some questions that you put up for God? I know I've got some questions for them. But here's a few of them. It says, Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed in church. Is that okay? Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. If you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. Dear God, if you give me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want except my money and my chest set. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp next year. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brothers. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There is nothing good there now. Do you have some questions that you would ask God? I know I have some questions I'd like to ask God sometimes. I threw a couple of questions in here. How many were up on Facebook this morning? But How many were not up on Facebook this morning? All right. Then you didn't see it. I put a question up there. Didn't get to see that one. It's all you can do to get here, huh? (laughs) All right. Matthew 28, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah. What exactly is the sign of Jonah? If someone would come up to you and ask you, What is the sign of Jonah? Would you be able to fully answer them what this was? So to go into this completely, we're going to take a look at the the book of Jonah and just read just, we're not going to get into all the details of the story, but we're going to take a look at some of the details here of the story. When Jesus makes a comparison, he makes it for a purpose. There's a reason for it. If you were here at the end times class, we looked at that comparison that Jesus did with the end times in the days of Noah. That most people teach that passage of Scripture. You remember he says two will be on the hill, one will be left, and one will be taken. Most people teach that as a, part, as a teaching about the resurrection. It is not. Because as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the end times. Well, in the days of Noah, who was taken from the earth? The unbelievers were taken. Who was left? Noah and his family. In the rapture, as people try and teach that that's what Jesus was saying, who is taken from the earth? The believer. Who is left? The unbelievers. How is that like the days of Noah? See, Jesus didn't teach the rapture because Jesus had him brought in the church. Paul was the one who brought in the teaching of the church. Paul was the one who taught about the rapture. And the disciples never asked him about the rapture. They asked him about what would be the sign of the end of the age. Why would Jesus answer the question they didn't ask? Jesus does not teach of the rapture of the church 
And because he doesn't, it does not mean it doesn't exist. But that's an example that he gave. We got into that in the end times class. But here's another example he gave where he said the sign that would be given to this generation would be the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So when Jesus gives an example, it's amazing how many correlations that you find from one event to the other. In the book of Jonah, in chapter 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cried out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. So understand this, at the level of the storm now, the ship is about to be broken up. That's pretty severe. Then the mariners were afraid. If you're going to get people that are used to a, a ship afraid, it's got to be pretty good. And every man cried out to his God. Then they threw cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. It is kind of curious how this storm could be going on. It would be so rough, almost breaking up the ship. They're throwing things overboard, and Jonah is sleeping. Now, you remember that Jesus was in a storm, and he was asleep. But Jonah is sleeping. He's running from the presence of God. He's not resting in the peace of God. Jesus is resting in the peace of God. Jonah is not. He's running from the presence of God. So the captain came to him. I, I don't know if I'm the captain, I'm sending somebody. I got better things to be doing. Why do I got to be messing down there with a, with a passenger? But the captain came down, said to him, Why do you, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then he said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? Now, we think the same thing. How many of you think that when something bad happens, I mean really bad happens, I did something really bad? That's what they're thinking. And they cast lots because they say, you know, we'll cast the lots and we'll, we'll see who it is. And, and they don't even say, you know, did you do anything? It's, what did you do? Please tell us what you did. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now, Remember the storm? It's so bad that it's ready to break up the ship. But they got time to go down and wake up Jonah and cast lots. Now, if you're casting lots on a ship that's not ready to be broken up by a, vast, a very severe storm, how many of you could lose some of those lots that are being cast? I don't know how exactly they did it, but I can't imagine it work as well on a uh, ship in a storm. But they want to hear the story. They don't just want to hear a little bit of the story. They don't just say, what did you do wrong? They said, tell us about yourself. You know, where are you from? What do you do for a living? Are you asking these questions in the middle of a storm? I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, see, they were worshiping their gods. They have gods of the mountains. They have gods of the trees. They have gods of the, of the harvest. They have gods of all kinds of things. He's saying, my God is the God of the land and the sea. 
He's God of it all. <laughs> if you're on the land, he's God. If you're on the sea, he's God. Wherever you are, he's God. Amen. And they were afraid. Oh, man. This is a big God. This is a powerful God. This is the God of the land and the sea. Oh, and you got him mad? Oh, man, are we in trouble. They were afraid. Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord. How'd they know that? Because he told them. He gave them the whole story. For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may become for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Excuse me. And he said to him, said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know this great tempest is because of me. Now, when did he get this revelation? Let's follow the, how this went. He booked passage on the boat. It said that when he came in, he went down into the boat. He rested, went to sleep. And when they came down to get him, he was still asleep. If you're asleep, I don't know that you know that the storm's going on. So when does he discover, I'm the reason, and this is how you take care of it? So I have a theory. Now, you know, Brother Hagin used to tell us a theory is, uh, is, is a supposition based on ignorance of the topic at hand. <laughs> that's, that's pretty clear. I mean, really, is it anything else? I mean, that's exactly what it is. So I have ignorance on this subject. I don't know exactly what happened here, but I have a theory. My theory is that the reason he was in such a deep sleep is because the sleep came from the Lord. And while he was in sleep, he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw what had to happen. Why the storm came. What had to be done. And what would happen after he was thrown into the sea. Look how sure he is about what happens. He doesn't just say, I have to get off the ship, does he? He gives a visual how this is going to be. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know this great tempest is because of me. Now, I want to give you a demonstration on this. And I'm so glad that the children are here. Could I have all of the Ekpe boys come up here? Every single one of you. I need all the boys to come up. They are now... They are no longer the Ekpe boys. You can come up too. Come on. Come on. I'll take everybody. Because you understand there's a whole mess of people up on the, on, the, on the boat. Now, I am going to make it easier for you. Israel, I want you to be Jonah. All right. Now, Jonah is the bad guy. He needs to be thrown into. You just explained to all these people here that you have to be thrown into the sea. So I want you to make yourself. I want you to get yourself ready to be thrown into the sea by all these guys. What do you have to do? Come on. Get ready to be, to, get ready to be thrown into the sea. Well, you guys aren't. Now, I want you to notice something. There's absolutely no fight from Israel. Now, if you are Israel and you're about ready to be thrown into the sea, how many of you are given a little bit of a battle? A little bit of a fight. Aren't you going to, do th- aren't you going to be doing that? He's still not fighting. <laughs> and he's going to go right over to the edge of the boat and they're going to throw him over. <laughs> All right, you don't have this one. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. <laughs> you guys did good. 
I want to bring you to a, a scripture in the, in the New Testament. Do you remember what Jesus said about going to the cross? He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. What did Jonah do? He laid it down, did he? He told them, you have to throw. Now, this is my question for God. If you're up on Facebook, this is one out there. I always wonder about this. Why, if Jonah knows he's the problem, why doesn't he jump? Right? I mean, if you know you're the problem and you're going in anyway, why not jump? Why put the pressure on these guys to have to throw you? It was, you did it. You brought them into this. They lost cargo because of you. Now you're going to make them throw you over? I'm thinking if I'm Jonah, be a man, jump. But he doesn't say that. He says, you've got to throw me in. Now see, this gives me the idea that he knew what was to happen. That he saw it. And God told him, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. It was already strong enough that they couldn't, it was, the boats were about ready to break up. And what happens? It gets worse. What is Jonah doing all this time? I'll tell you one thing, he's not jumping. He's staying right there on the boat. Why, if he knows that him going into the water is going to stop this thing, why doesn't he just go into the water? No sign shall be given except for the sign of Jonah. And Jonah laid down his life willingly. No one took it from him. He laid it down willingly and he was thrown overboard. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So get this idea. The reason that they're throwing Jonah overboard, they don't want to. They don't know him, but they don't want to. The reason they're doing it is because this nasty storm is up there. And as soon as they throw Jonah overboard, the storm stops. Why don't they grab one of their life rafts, throw it out there to him, bring him back in? But look at what it says. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they took vows. You know what that means? Oh, Lord, I'll never do anything wrong again. Right? Lord, I'll never curse again. I'll go to church every Sunday. They took vows. Don't people make vows when something tragic happens and they get out of it? They make all kinds of vows. Make all kinds of promises. They took vows. Probably didn't hold them for more than a week or two. Kind of like you on the New Year's. Not you, but other people. You know, New Year's Day. I'm going to do, and you say what it is going to do, and that lasts for what, January 7th? <laughs> it just doesn't seem to, to hang on. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Hmm. Now it does not say whale. 
It says fish. There is a difference. There's a huge difference between a fish and a whale. First off, a whale is not a fish. It's a mammal. He was swallowed by a fish. And so people say, well, there is no fish that could swallow a man that he can be survived. Well, I've already heard stories that there are. But I want you to, I want to call you to a special spot in here. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. If the Lord prepared the fish, the fish could do it. Just like when the Lord prepares you to do something, you can do it. The Lord prepared the fish, made the fish ready. I don't know what he had to do to prepare the fish. But he prepared the fish. Have you ever had fish prepared? Some people can prepare it pretty good. Some people not so good. But you go back to places to prepare fish good. You order some more. Prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. All right. It's not a whale. It's a great fish. If you are going to be swallowed by a great fish, how many of you are putting up a fight? I think I would probably be putting up a fight. If you put up a fight with the great fish, more than likely, the great fish is going to get a piece of you. Wouldn't he? Teeth would tear into you somehow. Something get ripped. But if you submit to being swallowed by the fish, you got a better shot at being swallowed whole. If Jonah submitted to being thrown over the bo- overboard, I would sense he also submitted to being swallowed by the fish. Why would you be submitted to being thrown overboard into a sea in turmoil and to be swallowed by a fish if you didn't know ahead of time to do it? So he gave up fighting. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Anybody here would have prayed sooner. I don't, I don't know if I, I'm praying a whole lot sooner than this. this I, I don't wait until I'm in the fish's belly. I'm doing that a whole lot sooner. He prayed from the fish's belly. And he cried, or he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now let's take a look at some of the other discussions on this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise, raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, and that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. So he says all this to quote David, that David used this verse, you will not leave my soul in Hades. He said, David said this prophetically of the Christ. 
David spoke about this. Now go on back over here to Jonah chapter chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from God, uh, his God from the fish's belly. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Oh, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Does that not sound pretty similar? Which was written first? David was before Jonah. David wrote it first. When, did, when Jonah cries us out, he is saying a paraphrase of what David said about the Christ. And when the Christ came on the scene, he said, the sign of Jonah is your only sign. So we see that Jesus laid his life down willingly, and so, so did Jonah. Three days and three nights, he was in the, the belly of the fish. And then they spat him up on the, on the shore. Prepared to do that. I'm sure he wasn't the best smelling thing. I'm sure he didn't look all that good. Could you imagine being on the shore when the fish comes up on the sea? You don't see that often. Big fish come up on the sea, on the, on the shore there, and then spit out a guy. That's just not something that happens all the time. But they said, you will not leave your soul in Hades in hell. And there has been debate about this. You know, where did Jesus go when he died? And, and things of that nature. There's three different words for hell. There's Gehenna. The Hebrew is, is in the Hebrew. It's the Valley of Hinnom. This is the place where Moloch was worshipped until Josiah came up and turned the place into a refuse dump. And it became the future. All they did was they burned garbage there. And that's what it became. It just became the garbage burning place where this uh, God was, had been worshipped. And so they called this the Valley of Hinnom. This is the word for hell. Just eternal burning. Always burning. Hades is another one, which is the word we saw here. It's uh, closest to a, a Greek word on this as well. The Greeks taught, they taught about this, that there are two places. There's a good part and a bad part. That the good part was Elysium and the bad part was Tartaros. Now, Christianity came along and Christianity was the, was the first one that came along and said that <clears throat> hell and heaven, or actually paradise, we're not eternal places of rest. Hell is not the place where people will stay. They're eventually going to be judged and put into the lake of fire. It's a holding place. And so was paradise. It was a holding place until Jesus paid the price and then they were taken on into heaven. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So they're holding until such time as the final judgment would come. Tartaros is a place where the fallen angels were kept. That's what the Greek word that they used to describe that. Second Peter 2, 4. We're not going to go over there. But there's been some confusion on hell. Some people still have the idea that hell is the base of operations for Satan. It is not. Satan did not create hell. Satan does not inhabit hell. His angels do not inhabit hell. He does not guard the entrance of hell. He does not keep people in hell. He does not send people to hell. He has no jurisdiction over hell. He will never be in hell. He gets to go to the bottom of the pit and then into the lake of fire. He doesn't get to go to hell. Does not get to do it. He won't ever see the place. 
it is not his base of operations. But when Jesus died, he went somewhere, didn't he? Now, when people died in the Old Testament, if you look at Psalm 63, 9, Numbers 16, 33, you're going to see when people died in the Old Testament and they were bad, where'd they go? Down. Psalm 63, 9 puts it this way. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Korah and all his band, earth opened up, took them straight down there. Straight down into hell. In Luke 16, 19 through 31, you're going to see Jesus' description of hell. You can do that later on if you'd like to. But other scriptures refer to hell as down. And no matter where you are on the earth, it refers to it as down. Down is the center of the earth. And that's really where hell is. Now, Jonah was in rebellion. Let's look at the sign of Jonah. Jonah, he was in rebellion. He was in rebellion against God. God says, go this way. No, I'm going to go this way. God says, take the message to Nineveh. He says, I don't want to. And the reason he doesn't want to take the message to Nineveh is Nineveh is the world power and they're going to come down, they're going to conquer Israel and Judah and he doesn't want them to. If God's going to judge them, great! Get them out of our way! And you want me to be the prophet, to bring the message and then when they listen and they repent and you heal them, everybody looks at me and says, who went? Who was it who went and warned them? It was me. He didn't want to do that. So he wants to go the other way. He found out he couldn't. So the great fish swallowed him up and transported him to where he was supposed to go. Now, if he had gone to Nineveh on a boat like normal people, got off and gave him the message, they probably wouldn't have listened to him. But because he got there via fish, spit up, and then comes out and says, I have a message from God. Oh... <laughs> okay, this is something. <laughs> you got a message from God. You were delivered on a fish. That fish swallowed you. How long you been in there? Man, that's... Whew. Three days. Three days I was here. He may have even told him the whole story. I didn't want to bring this message to you. But God had me swallowed by a fish. And I'm here I am. Here's the message. And I'm sure it was real heartfelt. Can you imagine Jonah? All right, God, I'll do it. Hey, repent or die. See you later. <laughs> I mean, it's not much of a message. He's not really too concern, concerned if they come about and they do this. He actually wants them to, to not. So before the ship sank, Jonah submitted to the plan of God. As I said, why didn't Jonah jump? Well, we went over that. Well, the trip that brought Jonah to Nineveh, we said, authenticated his message. And they repented. They repented because of the sign. That he was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And then the fish, the belly, the Hades that he was in, spit him out. And he came and proclaimed the message. And they listened to him. And God relented for a time the judgment on Nineveh. What Jesus is saying to them is, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights, I will be in hell. And I will come out. And you guys will reject the sign of Noah. Now think about after Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And all they wanted to do was plot how they could make his resurrection look false. False. 
when the soldiers came and they said, they told him what happened. The angel came, the light, and all these things. All right, don't tell that story to anyone else. We're going to pay you lots of money. We're going to talk to your superiors. We're not going to kill you for this. But you tell anyone who, who asked, his disciples came and they stole him. Can you imagine that? Twelve, eleven, eleven untrained disciples came to armed Roman guards and told them, we want to take Jesus. Oh, okay, you guys are tougher than we are. We'll, we'll let you go ahead and do that. I don't think that happened. But that's what they were going to live under. They went out and they tried to deny what the sign of Jonah was telling them. Now, people have had a hard time with the idea of Jesus Christ going to hell. When Jesus was on the cross, what did God put on him? All our sins was put on him. And he died. When you died in sin, where do you go? Hell. That's where you go. So where did Jesus go? He went to hell. But see, people have a hard time with this because they think, well, that puts them under the jurisdiction of the devil and the devil's there tortured. People have actually taught this. The devil tortured Jesus for three days. That would be wrong. The devil's not in hell. He's not allowed in hell. God decides who goes and who does not. Not the devil. He has no, no jurisdiction. He has no say in anyone. Any of those pictures you have, you know, the, you get to heaven... And the devil's making a case for you not getting in. We're wrong. He has no say. Nothing. There's only one thing that determines whether you're going to make it or not. Is your name written in the book of life? That's all they look at. They don't look at the good things you did. They look at, is, is the name here? It's not here. It, it's not here. Now see, actually, if it's not there, you don't even get to the gate. Don't even get to the gate. But if your name's there... You get to the gate. You go right on in. You don't need a password. Nothing like that. You just get to go right on in. Because your name's in the book. Amen. It can't be any easier than that, right? Amen. Get your name in the book. Amen. That's it. If your name's in the book, you go on. What's Jesus say about how to get in the book? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes on me shall not die, but shall have everlasting life. That's all you got to do. Believe that what Jesus did is your sacrifice. Father God, I received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty on the cross for me that I deserve, died, went to hell in my place, suffered in hell as other people suffered in hell like everyone else for three days. And then on the third day, the Father said, that's it. Three days and three nights. That's all. Get up here. And he came up. And after he left hell, he left all them people in hell, in hell. He just said, see ya. And then he had to pass by Abraham's bosom, which was divided, was separated by a great chasm according to the Bible. Remember the parable Jesus told? Lazarus. Great cavern in between. He went across the cavern and... Took all the people in paradise and took them right to heaven. Amen. Set them free to get on mm. to heaven. Some of them, it says, made a stop, <laughs> came knocked on the door. Hey. Hi. Hey. Just want to let you know. I'm on my way. <laughs> I'm on my way to heaven. 
Not in Abraham's bosom anymore. That guy you crucified, Jesus, he came down, set us free. Wow, you should have seen the place. It was awesome. Man, it was great. And um, he let us come on by here and just say howdy. Let you all know uh, it was Jesus who set us free. The guy you crucified, the guy you killed, the guy you were asking for to die. Yeah, he died for you, died for your sins, and now we're on our way to heaven. Thanks so much for doing that. We'd still be down there in paradise. Now we're going to heaven. <laughs> I'm sure paradise was good, but heaven is wow. Oh, heaven's a great place. Now, let's get back to the sin problem. The sin was on Jesus at the cross, right? He went down into hell. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Where does he take it to? I mean, come on. If you're going to take something somewhere, you've got to take it somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. You've got, you got to take it there. How many of you are planning on going over to someone's house today for dinner? All right. If you're going to someone's house to dinner, are you going to take something with you? Take food, people, whatever, flowers. You've got to take something with you. When you take it there, you leave it. Except for the people. You've got to bring the people back with you. But the, you know, the stuff you can, you can leave there, the flowers you leave there. Jesus, John said this to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes it away. And notice this, folks. He didn't say the believers. It said the world. That does not mean that everyone is saved. It does not mean that everyone's sin is taken is is uh, not accounted to them. You got to do something first. What's that? Accept Jesus Christ as your person as your savior. Jesus, I accept your sacrifice in place of my own. You do that, you get counted in that number. John chapter twenty verse seventeen. This is after the resurrection. Jesus said to Mary, in the in the garden, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Jesus died on the cross, went down into hell. He comes back up and says to Mary, no, hold, hold. do not touch me. Why is it that you generally don't want someone to touch you? I don't want to get dirty. They, they, they have something you don't want. Right? Stay back. <laughs> Whatever you got, I don't want it. I don't want it. Jesus has never done this with anyone. But this time he did. Why? The sin of the world is no longer on him. It was on him at the cross. It's not on him now. Right? Don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father yet. Where did the sin go? It was on him at the cross. Yeah, we'd assume hell, right? Yeah. And apparently, he left it there. So all the sin of the world is taken away and it's gone. Don't ever get in fear, folks, that when you get to heaven, that God's going to have this big party and you're going to be brought up here. Let's see what you did. And everybody's going to find out all the things that you did. And let me tell you what. Most people in heaven are not going to care what you did. Besides that, that's not what God's about. He took the sins of the world 
away. Not bringing them back. Now, after this situation, he lets people touch him. Remember he says to Thomas? Thomas, go ahead and touch me. Go ahead. Come on, touch me. What happened? He must have ascended. (laughs) Must have gone to the Father and did whatever he had to do in the state that he was in. Now you can go ahead and touch me. But he didn't have any sin on him. It was gone. In 1 John 2, 2, And he himself is the propitiation for our sin, not only ours, but also for the whole world. The whole world. What's the world got to do? Except Jesus. Hebrews 1, 3, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, now upholding in all things by the word of his power, whom when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Your sins, folks, have been purged. They're gone. He's not waiting for an opportunity to bring it back and embarrass you. Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He descended so that he could ascend and bring us with him. The sign of Jonah. It is still here with us today, but in particular, it was there for them in that day. He says, you guys are not going to get any sign but the sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights. Remember the Pharisees even went to the Romans and they said, look, he told us that on the third day he would raise again. We want to make sure his disciples don't steal him. Can we have a regiment? Of soldiers, And they said, hey, you got your own regimen. Do what you want with them. So they put their own guard up so the disciples couldn't come and steal. They remembered that he was going to rise again on the third day. How is it that his own 11 did not? How is it on the, 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 the third day some of his own disciples would have long faces? Oh, it's the third day and Jesus is dead. And they didn't remember. But here's what he said. The sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights he would be in the heart of the earth in Hades. He bore all your sin on that cross. He took them with him and he left them somewhere, probably in hell. But they are nowhere around you. Your sin is gone. Glory to God. He did this for the entire world. But it only matters. It only has an effect upon those who receive it. Think of it this way. Electricity is available, is it not? Do you not have the option when you build a house to not connect to the electric grid? Well, I don't know why you would do that, but you could have the option of not connecting to the, to the grid and not getting all the benefits of, of uh, electricity, lights, indoor washer, dryer, refrigerator, freezer, dishwasher, hot water heater, fans that run the heat throughout your whole house, or air conditioning. All these things come because of electricity. But you could opt out. And you can say, no, that wasn't for me. They, they, didn't, they didn't do that for me. Well, it's there. You've got to tap into it. You've got to tap in 
You got to tap into what God did. You got to tap into it. Would you all stand up with me? With every head bowed. No one looking around. If you're here today and you say, I'm not tapped in. I have not yet connected to have my sins forgiven. Don't leave here before that's taken care of. Why would you want to pass up on this great opportunity? Well, if God proves himself to me, and Jesus said to this group of Pharisees, I'm not going to prove myself to you. I don't have to. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. To be raised? Well, how do I know that he was raised? Because 11 people who lived with him, served with him for three and a half years, all died. All but John. And they tried to kill him. They all died believing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. How many others were there beside the 11 who knew that he was raised from the dead and were willing to die for that? That's a testimony to us that he was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and then was raised, took your sin far away. But in order for it to have any effect upon you, you must submit to him. You could be like Jonah and get on the ship to Tarshish. Flee the presence of God. Not recommended. But you don't go into this plan because someone forced you. You go in submitting. You go in willing. Everybody bowed. Their heads bowed. If you're here today and you say, I have not yet given my life to God. I have not yet given my life to the Savior. But I want to accept His sacrifice for me. And my sin will be taken away not held accountable to me at all. That's you. Just raise up your hand. Father, we thank you for such a great example of Jesus Christ. Now people have thought what is the greatest miracle of this weekend? me, Father, the greatest miracle of this whole time is the death of Jesus Christ. It doesn't surprise me that you could raise him from the dead, or you've raised others from the dead. But that the love of God is so strong, and that Jesus' love for us was so great, that he endured the beating, the humiliation, the sacrifice, the nailing to the cross, the crown of thorns, the separation between you and God, you and the Son. And He did did it willingly. He laid down His life because no one could take it. And He died for me. He died for each one of us. think the love of God is that strong to have endured so much astounds me Father there is nothing on this earth that I cannot do when I see what he did
love of God is on the inside of us. It can move us to love the unloving, to help the hurting, to preach the gospel, to lay hands on the sick, to minister, to preach the word, to sing, to worship. There's nothing, Father, the love of God can, will not compel us to do. I just need to yield to it. Father, I thank you for that love. Thank you for that sacrifice. If you didn't get your praise report in, you got a few minutes. You can write one down and get it on over here to us. What has God done for you this week? Oh, we have a special number. Special number. Comes from Gladys. She says, "Last Sunday, we had a need in children's church in the senior class, and she said Vanessa stepped in and filled the need. She says, praise God, He always supplies all of our needs. Amen." This one is from Lissy. She says, I'm so thankful that in August I will be a big <laughs> And my praise report is that I can finally talk about it. <laughs> so that's it. Um, just a couple announcements. This Friday um, we have the all-nighter. You have one? Okay, Ento says she's thanking God for his financial blessings on my life last year and this year. Praise Amen. God. You've been getting lots of bonuses and favor in that area. Amen. Amen. All right, as I was saying, this, this Friday is the all-nighter for um, children nine, ages 9 and up. I have to have a count today if you are going. That way I can make arrangements for carpool, okay? So if your child is going, I must know today. Um, also, next month, starting um, April the 29th, we're having our first prayer and praise night. Um, and Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So please make plans to come. Um, we'll give you the time uh, as we get a little bit closer. But that's going to be a real special thing we're going to start doing. Um, I'm not going to say every month, every six weeks, but prayer and praise, that's Amen. it. Come prepared to um, to worship and prepared to just praise the Lord in the spirit and however he might lead us. Got another praise report from Susan. She says, I've been having a lot of problems with my voice, um, but praise God, he answered my prayer, and I was able to sing this morning. So Amen, amen for that. All right, and I have no more announcements. Next Sunday, we get to eat again. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we have the covered dish dinner be after church. That will allow us. So it's first Sunday of the every even month. So that's uh, coming up on this one. So we'll have that. We'll all be, uh, just come on, plan to stick around. We always have plenty of food. Uh, if you can, bring a covered dish, something that's uh, around the line of what your family would eat. And bring that on out here. What desserts, side dishes, all that sort of stuff. You know, some of us are meat eaters, and then some of us eat vegetables only. <laughs> Whichever way that you that you go, I'm a meat eater. I'm not one of the weak ones who eats vegetables only. Um, so we'll have a church meeting on that one too. We got a number of things to go over with you, and uh, even um, what was that? Was I'll figure out something uh, real important I was going to tell you about for for that one. I'll probably put it out on Facebook because I'm not remembering what it was right now. Wednesday, we are going over one of my favorite stories from the book of Kings. So this is not the one where Hezekiah puts the praisers out in front. Don't think it's that one. That's a good story. 
That's a good story. This is my favorite story from the book of Kings. I've told people who were at the last Wednesday, I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and remember parts of this story. This story is just awesome. And if you're not here on Wednesday, you won't hear it. No, you, we'll, we'll put it up there eventually on, on there. But uh, come on out here on Wednesday night, 730. We're going to have that going on. And uh, next week, we also will not have any class after, after uh, uh, church, but we'll have them pick up the, the week after that. So um, we have the cover edition, and that's it. I think that is about it. Check up on Facebook. We'll